0: Uh, I know that I am thankful for my family, uh, and my wife and my son, as well as my church family. Uh, and so I'm thankful this morning that I get to share God's word with you. Uh, Pastor Joe had the opportunity to go see his family in Indiana, and so I I got the opportunity to prepare a sermon for you this week, which is fun. Uh, I do want to make one quick announcement before we pray and get started. Um, December 20th is uh, one of our biggest youth events of the year and I find to be one of our most fun uh, and an opportunity for the church to get involved as well. Uh, On December 20th is our night of our progressive dinner. Uh, If you've never done one of those or never heard about one of those, uh, what we do is we gather all the students here at church. We divide up into multiple groups and we drive around to different houses of people within the church. And you serve a portion of a meal to them. So whether it's the main course or the salad and veggies or some sort of bread or appetizers. So if you are interested, December 20th is the last day of school this year. And so if you are interested in being part of that, if you would like to have about 30 or so people come into your house, not at one time, all right, we come in in stages, so 30 people over about two and a half hours, Uh, if you are interested in that or just have questions or if maybe you say, I can't host but I would like to drive, uh, come talk to me, all right, after the service, Uh, but before we get started, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship you in a place where it's safe, a place where we can be open about our struggles and our faith, a place where we can admit to others that we're broken and hurting people, but a place that we can come together and celebrate because we have a perfect and healing God. And so, Father, as we talk this morning about your word and what you have for us, God, I just ask that you speak to us. That you speak through me as I present another big question, Lord. And so, Father, I just ask that you be with us this morning. I ask that you speak to us. And we can do all of these things through Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. All right, over the past few weeks, uh, in our series on big questions, questions that you may have. Or maybe you've been asked at some point in your life by someone that doesn't know Jesus. We've been dealing directly with the character and nature of Christ. Pastor Joe is taught on both who Jesus is and why Jesus had to die on the cross. Now this week we're going to continue along that same train of thought. And we're going to go to Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I want you to keep that question in your head. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, before I jump in, I, I want to explain why the resurrection happened, both from a historical standpoint and a biblical one. Because, see, here's what I know. I asked the question why did Jesus really or did Jesus really rise from the dead? And I know what happened in your head. Some of you went, yes. And then you went, hmm, I wonder how good that piece of pie is that's still in the fridge at home. All right, so you were ready. You were ready. You're like, I know the answer. I can go home. All right, and that's okay. That's a good thing. But I want to expound upon that. I want to talk about the historical evidence behind if Jesus really rose from the dead. Because, see, we can read Scripture and clearly see that that took place. But what about those that have questions? One of those that, have, about that may have questions that maybe you're not 100% sure how to answer. See, we need to establish both why the resurrection is important and why it had to happen. See, I know that you don't struggle with the idea of the resurrection, but I want you to see both sides, historically and biblically, of why it took place. See, over the past few weeks, Jesus Jesus was talked about in such a way to explain why he had to die. Last week we we learned through scripture why Jesus actually had to die. And today we need to remember a few of those main and crucial points. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus isn't just a man that God chose us into the world. He's not just a messenger or a prophet. He's God himself stepping down into the world, taking our rightful place on the cross. I deserved to be there. And not only that, he was God giving up his life for a sinful and broken world. Because of the Father's extraordinary love, Jesus, his son, was sent to pay the debt for our sin. His death, caused by us, was crucial for us to be able to be redeemed. Now, as we, as we think about that fact, we also have to think about things that Jesus said before his death. Because here's the thing Jesus made some incredible statements about who he was. That's why people followed him, and that's why people hated him. There were so many people that gathered around Christ as he spoke because of the amazing things that he had to tell. And in the book of John, John writes seven statements that Jesus proclaims about himself claims of his deity. They're called the I am statements. And each time Christ would issue one of these statements to the people, they would listen and they would hear. And there would be two reactions. The Jews would react out of hatred. That Jesus would dare claim that he is the great I am. And his followers and the disciples and the people that were listening would be in excitement and joy. As Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, for I am the resurrection and the life See, there would be a great celebration of the promises that were held within those words. I am God, and not only am I God, I'm going to provide your basic needs and guide you and protect you and walk beside you and give you life. See, all of these promises showed something to his followers, that Jesus isn't just a man, that he is God and his power extends beyond his mortal flesh. He was promising the death of, was not the end of our lives. So think about what happened. If Jesus' tomb was never empty, if instead he perished like any other man, Jesus would have been lying about the most crucial of his promises, his promise that he was God. The resurrection was the ultimate confirmation of his deity and his power over death. Now, after addressing the incredible importance of the resurrection to our belief in Christ, I want to share with you three of the most convincing reasons that we can believe in the resurrection. As we dig into this, I want to, I want to show you both the historical side, because I think that's where a lot of people will come to you and say, well, Jesus never existed. Jesus never died on the cross. Jesus never rose again. And historically, we can answer those questions. As we dig into the, into the ideas and uh, in, in determining the historicity of an event, this is what historians often say. Uh, historians often use a method called inference to the best explanation. Now, I know that sounds really exciting, uh, but, but stick with me here. This is what they're saying. All right, they look at all the possibilities on a subject. So take the resurrection of Christ. And they look at everything that happened in history. Because as you know, history is really, really unbiased. No, it's completely biased to the winners and to those who get to write the history. And so as historians look back at what happened, they have to read all the accounts of what took place And the only way to really fully understand the truth of a situation is they have to infer what the best possible explanation for that story is. And so they look at the resurrection of Jesus, and they look at the history around it, and all the things that took place, and what historians of that day were writing. And then they begin to examine the evidence on Jesus' resurrection and we begin to clearly begin to clearly see that the resurrection of Christ is the best historically accurate thing that Jesus truly did rise again now the three areas that i feel that most convincingly from a historical standpoint and a biblical one point this out are the empty tomb the people's encounter with Jesus post-resurrection and the explosion of the church following his death and resurrection. Now let's start with the empty tomb. If you turn to me to the end of Matthew chapter 28, we're gonna read a little story here and I'm gonna give you some backstory as you go there. At the beginning of the chapter, of chapter 28, we see the two Marys heading to the tomb of Jesus after his death. Once there, an angel appears to them Rolls the stone away, shows them that the tomb is empty, declares to them that Jesus has rose from the dead, and while he's doing that, the angel has somehow entranced the guards so they can't interfere in any of this. So an angel is standing there talking to the Marys, and the guards are like frozen in place as this takes place. And we're actually going to look at this story. Because see, the Marys are excited. They head off and leave, and they go to explain to the disciples what has taken place, that Jesus has risen. But the guards, on the other hand, they go on their own journey. All right, so let's read verses 11 through 15 here together. This is what the guards do. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. See, as we look back at the history of the empty tomb, There are four possible explanations offered for why. There are reasons. If you go to someone, they might say, well, the tomb was empty for this. And the the most common three arguments of why the tomb were empty was that a wild animal stole the body, that his disciples or even the Jewish Pharisees took it, or that the empty tomb was just a mere legend Story passed on for generations to tell about the mighty hero Jesus and how he would save the Israelites. Or the one we argue is that Jesus maybe actually did rise from the dead. So let's start with our animal theory here. All right. Now, this is probably the craziest theory of them all. Uh, In ancient times in Israel, they did not bury the bodies in a nice little dug hole in the ground. All right. So if you went out in your backyard and and buried something in your backyard, an animal could and probably would try to dig that up. No, Jesus and those that died in that time were buried in what was similar to be a cave, a small stone structure that they would bury the bodies inside to protect it from wild animals or people. And not only that, but they would roll these gigantic boulders in front of the openings so that people couldn't come easily and rob the graves. So the idea that an animal came to the body, either dug through feet of stone, moved a gigantic boulder, or somehow attacked, took out two guards, and then moved a boulder, is, is beyond crazy. All right, But this is one of the things that as historians study this question that they get. That somehow an animal got a hold of the body And took care of it. And that's why Jesus' body was no longer there. Now, the second theory is that the disciples stole the body or that the Pharisees did. Now, we're going to talk about each one of those. The disciples stealing the body. Here's the part that's crazy to me. You know what the Pharisees did when Jesus died and they went to bury him in a tomb? They were so adamant about the disciples not getting hold of that body. They demanded that guards be placed outside of it. All right, so we read in the Bible here that the guards were paid off to tell their own story of the tale. But they demanded that guards be, these are Roman centurions, and if you fail your job as a Roman guard, guess what, you die. There's a reason they got paid a large sum of money to tell a lie, and not only that, that they promised to cover for them if the governor found out that they were lying. So now we have Jesus' disciples showing up to move a gigantic boulder while somehow fighting off Roman guards. Now I know that Peter was excited to take his sword out to defend Jesus, but the reality is it's not happening. This tomb was well-protected by Roman centurions. They, they weren't going to fall asleep on the job because, again, they'd be killed. Now here's the other side of it. So then there's the argument that the Jewish the Pharisees took the body. I want you to imagine this, all right? The, the Jewish Pharisees are in power. Their God is the greatest God ever in everything, and we know that because that's the God we, that we serve, but they forgot about Jesus along the way. So... Now we have Jesus rising up and everyone is starting to follow him. And the body disappears and the, all of his followers are like, this is what we were waiting for. This is the promise that God had promised. If the Jews took the body and all of these followers started following and becoming Christians, here's their immediate reaction. Oh, by the way, we stole it. Here it is. If they had the body, they would immediately give up the body To kill the story off. So now we have a missing body that wasn't eaten by animals and that wasn't taken by anyone. So then we get to the third theory. That that a legend was created by Christians to say that Jesus had died and rose again. This great phasm, fantastic fairy tale. All right, so Jesus died and rose again and now everything that they had done to this point is celebrated because all the promises have come true and so there's an empty tomb because of a false story now here's the deal with that who discovered the tomb two women if you're creating a story in ancient time that you want people to believe you don't start your story out with two women showed up to tell us the truth of this. Now, that isn't anything against women. And I want to make it clear that God specifically used women in this instance for that exact very reason. Because they have a huge role to play in God's kingdom. And the people were in this time, denied them that. And the reality is this. There is no way a legend starts in this time with two women showed up and and saw that Jesus was alive. Everyone immediately goes, well, that's obviously a lie. If they wanted to start a story about this, they would talk about Christ, beloved, his favorite showing up, and there he was. The tomb was empty. No, they started out with the Marys showing up. The tomb was empty, and the Marys were standing there, and they spread the good news that Christ was risen. See, the last theory was the tomb was actually empty because Jesus rose again. That appears to be, out of all of these reasons, the most historically believable and accounted by historians as the most believable site of the empty tomb. Now, the next area we need to examine in understanding the resurrection is the fact that Jesus appeared countless times to his disciples and other people, 12. Jesus appeared 12 times to one to 500 people. If you turn to me uh, to First Corinthians chapter 15, I'll read a little here for you. Paul recorded a creed, all right, a saying that the early church said, they came to gather together and this was something that they would say together, all right, And Jewish historians call this a statement of eyewitnesses. And what that means is they believe this to be a very true statement from the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Starting in verse 3 in chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was this important creed in the structure and celebration of the early church. That Christ rose from the dead. Here's, what, here's the crazy thing. Paul goes on in 15 and he says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, he can. how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching isn't in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ doesn't raise from the dead, everything we do in this church is in vain. But the reality is this. Paul was taught this creed by James and Peter within five to ten years of Jesus' resurrection. And within five to ten years, Jesus had showed up to Paul in an incredible way. And now we have this statement that the early churches have adopted that Christ has rose from the dead from encounters with him. Over 500 people witnessed the resurrection of Christ. In an attempt to invalidate the eyewitness accounts, critics have proposed two different explanations for these sightings. The first... It's hallucinations. Now this is a pretty well-known and often used theory because we have historical records of people seeing Jesus. And so the assumption is that his disciples and those that didn't follow him that saw him raised were hallucinating. That they were just seeing a loved one that had recently died and they were accounting for that by imagining him there with them. See, here's the problem with that. The problem is that hallucinations aren't often very physical. And many of Jesus' resurrection appearances were very physical in nature. See, if you look at, we're not going to turn there, but if you go to the end of John, John chapter 20, verse 27, he meets with Thomas. And what's he tell Thomas to do? Here, touch my wounds. A very physical manifestation if it's a hallucination. Again, on in chapter 21, he sits down with the disciples and he begins to eat. They begin to have breakfast together. Just two of the multiple phys- physical interactions Jesus had when he rose. Now, Jesus had them with multiple people and I wanted to think about this. Hallucinations definitely cannot explain Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus and as far as I know I don't know that I've ever had a hallucination but as far as I know you typically can't touch them nor do they consume food and typically what wouldn't happen is if you didn't believe in someone and you actually very adamantly persecuted the people that followed him you definitely wouldn't hallucinate about him So the idea of a mass hallucination seems to stretch logic beyond its capacity. So now, if, we're not, if the followers aren't hallucinating Jesus, maybe they just lied about it. The second argument is the disciples just lied that Jesus rose from the dead. They got together and collaborated a story that said, yep, we all saw Jesus. We touched him. We ate with him. We did all of these things. See, the story of Jesus' resurrection was so counter to the culture. It angered the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And it eventually cost most of the disciples their lives. So turn with me to Acts chapter 4. This is what the disciples decided was good enough for their law as they were speaking to the people the priest and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in the in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for then it was evening but Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came about came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananus, the high priest, and Cephas, uh, and John and Alexander, and all who of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed let it be known to all you have to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man is standing before you well this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you the builders which had become the cornerstone And there is salvation in no one, for there is no other name under heaven and given among men by which we must be saved. See, we have Peter and John encountering the most religious leaders of their day. And after spending the night in jail, they get up the next day, their lives are in danger, and are they going to continue to back this lie? So what did they do? As they stood before the Pharisees with no timidity or hesitation, they declared Christ's power in his resurrection. See, if they drummed up a lie in order to make sure that the past three years had not been in vain, that they should still be in power because Jesus is their Lord and people should be excited about that. If they did all that, there is no way they stand before the Pharisees and continue that lie. And I challenge you this, there is no way that we go out into the world and continually proclaim Christ unless he is risen from the dead. Because that would just be stupid. And I I say that in the kindest way possible, because there's no way that you go against your culture and say, I'm going to be different, I'm going to live different, I'm going to live a different way, I'm going to follow a different path, and I'm going to do this because my God said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Unless it actually happened. There's no way the disciples start taking the punishment that they got unless it actually happened. They weren't lying, they were doing exactly what Jesus had asked them to do, even to the point of their own deaths. Again, theories proposed to discredit his resurrection. And subsequent appearances fall short, leaving the most logical and rational conclusion to be that he really did appear multiple times to, to multiple locations and to many believers and non-believers. The final circumstance that we can point out that Christ did clearly rise from the dead is the explosive growth of the church following his resurrection See, when we look back at the passage in Acts, and maybe you missed this as I was reading it, 5,000 believers in one day. The church was exploding. People were hearing about Jesus' resurrection, and there was something to get excited about. See, if you were a Jew, you had heard your whole life the promise of resurrection in the end. You had heard of the promise of a Messiah coming, and God had laid it out throughout all of the history of israel that there was a man coming who was god and he was going to heal them and so people saw this and heard of Jesus' resurrection and they were getting excited so what in this story was so powerful that the men were drawn to him simply it was the resurrection of christ i want you to imagine this what happened to the disciples when jesus died they went back to their everyday lives Where did Jesus meet with the disciples? They were in their boat fishing. They went back to everyday life because their leader, the person they were following, had died and the end of their servanthood was done. Like Jesus died, we can go back to work now. That was the reaction of his closest followers. And then he showed up to them. They were witnesses to his power and his teaching. And upon his death, they returned to life. But when they saw him alive again, they dropped everything and sacrificed it all. It is proposed that perhaps the disciples borrowed some pagan and mythological traditions to to add to their story, to make Christ seem greater than he really was that they interwove inside their story other religious gods so they would have a God-King that died and rose again. There's actually a such story in Egyptian mythology. However, this is a story that took place many years after the Christian church exploded. See, none of these pagan Ideas started amassing until the Christian church was flourishing and growing. And so, what happened was, all these other religions that were struggling began to implement in their own religions the idea that their God died and came back to life. And not only that, but the idea that Jesus' followers, who were Jewish, and if you know Jewish people in Jesus' time, they were zealous for their religion. And there is no way that they allow some pagan religion to intermingle into their life. Especially knowing the consequences of their forefathers when they did that countless times in the Old Testament. There is no way that they allow this story to influence them. Since World War II, no historians agree that there was any pagan involvement in the story of Christianity. See, they've looked at the history and seen who Jesus was and seen all the stories rise up and every account of a God that has rose again has come after Christ actually doing it. Paganism was not being interwoven anywhere in Judaism during this time. The resurrection truly mobilized and ignited followers of Christ. The growth of the church in the years following could only have happened after a life-altering event, the resurrection of Christ. So I need to imagine this because I, I know as believers, we go into Scripture and we think about the empty tomb and we go, of course it was empty. Of course Jesus wasn't there because God had promised that he would raise him from the dead. And then we read the stories of Jesus appearing after the resurrection and we go, yeah, of course we know that. We, we talk about doubting Thomas. You know we talk about those stories and their relevance and how it changed and ignited the faith of the Christian Church. And we get excited about that, but here's the cool part. As I was studying this and was reading all kinds of like Jewish historians references, everyone historically agrees on the resurrection of Christ. Like that, to me, is crazy. Like we historically have the birth of Christ. We historically know that a man named Jesus taught like he did in Jerusalem. And we historically have proof of Jesus' actual resurrection because of the empty tomb, because of his appearances, and because of the explosion of the Christian church. And even from a logical standpoint, people still don't want to believe in Jesus. But here's the cool part about that. That's why God showed us his love so that we can share stories and historical and biblical reference to this. It's an exciting time. I love Christmas. But I actually feel a little weird about Christmas because I feel like Christmas should come and then you should immediately have Easter because the birth and death and resurrection of Christ are so intertwined. We can't have one without the other. But we can't have any of it being true without Jesus' resurrection. It's all in vain. The weight of historical evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. There's more ideas and confirmation that I haven't even talked about this morning. We could choose to reject the resurrection, but not on the basis of logic or historical evidence. The resurrection may be implausible, indeed impossible from a scientific perspective, But the impossibility is not a problem for Christianity. It is the very point. God has done something miraculous that simply cannot happen otherwise. If the impossible is possible, imagine the possibilities. If God can raise Christ from the dead, then he can raise us from the dead. If God can raise Christ from the dead, then death itself has been defeated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your willingness to send your Son into this world, to live like we do, to go through everything that we go through, to be tempted like we're tempted. To live a perfect life to suffer for our sins not his own to go on the cross where we deserve to be but yet he was so willing to die so that he could conquer death lord so that we could have life god we thank you for that as we celebrate and we get excited about the the coming of Jesus into the world, Lord, we we think about all aspects of that. The tree is designed as a reminder of the cross. that Jesus gave us a great gift with it. And so, Father, let this be a month of celebration. Let this be a month of joy. And let this be a month where we can share this with others. And so, God as we celebrate and honor you through our worship, through our fellowship, through all the gatherings throughout this month, we just want to say we thank you. We thank you that Jesus died and that he rose again. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.